You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. All right, Purple Daily on drafts. We're back. We're back after a bye week, little hiatus, if you will. We had Fourth of July last Monday, so we all just decided, hey, let's just let's take the time off. If there's any time to take time off during the football season, that has now honestly morphed from just a 17 to 18 game schedule into like a full 52 week type of uh, commitment. We figured we'll take that one off, and then we'll get back at it, obviously, uh, on this Monday, July 10th. So welcome back. This is Purple Daily on Draft. Tyler Fornis, Thor Nystrom here. We break down the NFL Draft-centric show on Purple Daily. 52 weeks out of the year. Speaking of going year-round, we like to bring Vikings draft takes uh, from the draft class to off-season speculation from the season, college football, once that starts back up here. Maybe mix in a little bit of fantasy football as we get closer and closer to draft season. Thor and Tyler were telling me off, Mike, about a ridiculous fantasy football league that we'll definitely get into more on the show because I want you guys to explain that to the audience too. Uh, we got a packed show here. We got a 2024 mock from Jordan Reed of ESPN. We got some great feedback questions too from listeners. And by the way, if you want to submit some questions to us that you want answered on Purple Daily on Draft, Please do so. You can drop them in the YouTube comment section on Purple Daily, or you can shoot us an email or shoot me an email at least at dgoff uh, at hbi.com. It's also on the Score North app, too, if you want to uh, send me any feedback you want these two draft nerds to ex- answer. All right, boys, let's get after it here. Let's uh, let's look at a 2024 mock from uh, hashtag friend of the show, Jordan Reed. So let's get into this. Let's get to the NFL Films music. We'll get the proper things going up here. We haven't done a mock yeah, in a long go. time, boys. We got to get we have to have the right uh, ambiance, if you will. So Jordan Reed takes a look. A way too early first-round predictions in 2024. The college football season is like less than six weeks away. So he figured, why don't I take that and look at the NFL draft, which is about nine to ten months away. So let's get after it here. So uh, no surprises early on here. Uh, Caleb Williams going number one to the Arizona Cardinals. By the way, he's obviously projecting here uh, where these teams are going to likely finish, too, in the the draft order. So Cardinals with back-to-back picks. Caleb Williams won. Marvin Harrison Jr. I know we've like talked about this before, but it makes me feel old anytime I see guys from our youth mm-hmm. and guys from our formable years. Now their kids are getting drafted. Uh, man, that'd be a deadly combo, though. Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr. going one and two overall to kind of revamp Arizona. Uh, and then Drake May going to the Bucks at three. Uh, Drake May, probably the second QB off the board in your guys' eyes as it stands right now, or is that, uh, is that a little surprising? Definitely the second quarterback off the board. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I think he's going to be a top three pick. The the sort of fascinating thing to watch here with Arizona, this goes back to the Thursday night of, of round one this past April where Monty Ossenfort's on, on the clock at number three, and he was able to get the first-round pick for Houston in 2024 out of that trade down. Obviously, Houston wanted to move up and get Will Anderson right after they had taken C.J. Stroud. The reason he... Awesome for wanted to do that after taking over this Arizona job. They're going to tank this coming year. We don't even know if Kyler Murray's going to play, so that team is going to be awful. Then you get Houston's first-round pick. Houston is in a perpetual rebuilding mode. That pick should be really high. If it went down like this and you could get Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., what an absolute coup that would be. 
the one problematic thing, and, and Reed points this out in his write-up, is Kyler Murray has a $51.9 million cap hit in 2024. So you would have to figure out a way to offload that, the, the cap dynamics of that. You'd have to figure out a way that you could trade him. You probably wouldn't want to cut him and get nothing, but that would be the one thing to work around. Otherwise, you could put this pick up for an auction and just have an auction league-wide. But for me, I'd probably just want to sit there and take Caleb Williams. Okay. Looking at the rest of these draft picks here, we got uh, some offensive hey, Jack, line to go on. Here real quick. I yeah. want to point this out because it's something that we're seeing some analysts talk about, and myself included. Drake May is a non-zero, has a non-zero chance to go first overall. The difference between May and Williams for how NFL evaluators look at quarterbacks could be staggeringly different. May is going to be much more your traditional, hey, I'm a tall guy. I'm going to be a pocket passer. I'm going to be able to uh, survey the field and make my progressions. And then he can also hit you in the running game where Caleb Williams, and this isn't meant as an insult. He is a much more flashy player. He can make those incredible wow plays. It's why he's getting Patrick Mahomes comps, even though it's incredibly unfair to do that to a 20 year old kid. He's got so much in him, but he needs to play better within structure. If you want a guy who's going to dominate within structure and be able to do some of that wow factor afterwards, May could easily go first overall. There's a lot we're going to learn throughout the course of the next year. I just wanted to point that out. It's not a foregone conclusion that Williams goes first overall. I think it's a borderline foregone conclusion that he goes top three, top five, regardless. But NFL evaluators, I think you're going to be very split on these two players. And, and just to jump off that with Drake May, he needs to prove to us two things this coming this coming year. Number one, that he can succeed without Phil Longo, one of the best offensive yeah. coordinators in the nation. Obviously, he left for Wisconsin to join Luke Fickle's new staff. The other thing, number two, teams started to figure out how to defend him the middle of last season into the, the end of last season by just dropping eight guys. They were doing what Barry Odom used to do, the defensive coordinator, rush three, drop eight. And then all of a sudden, he was having a harder time finding those targets downfield. The, pa- the passing offense got less explosive. When they did that to Sam Howell, you remember Sam Howell's last year. That's when his stock started to tank. He would just start taking off as opposed to looking through it and, and trying to find the progressions whatnot. We he, Drake May is certainly going to see more of that drop eight stuff this coming year as teams try to slow him down. He needs to figure out a way to solve that. But if he can do that and he can can. can can continue, easy for me to say, can continue to succeed without Phil Longo. He's a top mm-hmm. three lock for sure, and he will challenge Caleb Williams. All right, so Quinn Ewers uh, from Texas will go to the Washington Commanders in this proposed mock at pick eight. So the, uh, the Commanders find their future quarterback. The Bears at 10. Actually, they're at 10 and 11. They have Dallas Turner, an edge rusher out of Bama going there. And then is it Emika Ibuka? How the hell? From Ohio State? Emeka Ibuka. Emeka Ibuka. The wide receiver going to Ohio State, so Bears loading up from their other picks. Let's uh, let's let's get down to the Vikings here, and I'm sure if there's other guys that were on the board before, we can obviously get back to them too that are between the Vikings or after the Vikings. But with the 21st overall pick in these proposed 2024 mock draft from Jordan Reed, the Vikings take Chop Robinson, edge out of Penn State. Uh, Jordan writes that Daniil Hunter's future with the Vikings is still in question, but even if the two are, are able to come to terms on a restructured contract, Minnesota lacks dependable options off the edge. Marcus Davenport signed for just one year, uh, but at six foot three, 242 pounds, Robinson is an urgent, is urgent and displays a variety of pass rush skills. Uh, he, let's see here. 
He did get first pressure with two and a half seconds on an FBS best 12.1% of pass rush snaps. Love that. Uh, Robinson still needs to fill out the frame and show he can be relied as an early down run defender, but the potential is there. All right, fellas, if that plays out, chop Robinson to the Vikings at pick 21. Number one, do you think that he would be there at 21? And if so, uh, I'll start with you, Thor. Would that be the right pick to make at pick 21? You got to consider him. Uh, right now, he's a bit of a one-trick pony, but that one trick is really, really neat. It's the, it's the pass rushing thing. He's going to bring you that that heat off of the edge. Last year, uh, PFF grade 90.6. It all came from his pass rushing, 92.4. He was one of the most feared pass rushers in all of the nation. The rest of the stuff, again, it's coming along. He misses too many tackles. He's only sort of so-so against the run. Um, the, the coverage stuff, we haven't seen enough. He, he's just sort of been mediocre in that dropping back but then again you're going to want to send him every time the opposing team is is passing so maybe that doesn't matter quite as much you'd like to see the tackling efficiency improve this coming year improve a little bit against the run but you know you're getting something special with his pass rushing ability just don't see kids that that can rush the the passer like that obviously as reed points out the vikings are going to have questions at the edge rusher position this is a guy that you would think about for sure forno how about you man the interesting thing here about robinson is the fact that he didn't have any sacks last year, and there are going to be a lot of people point to that. Well, I'll say two things. One, Daniil Hunter had four and a half sacks at LSU. He turned out pretty good. Obviously, that's a little bit of an anomaly, but you can at least draw some comparisons. It's not all about sacks. It's about impacting the quarterback in the pocket. That was something that Chop Robinson did incredibly well. And Thor, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Chop Robinson started a game last year for Penn State. Is that right? Yeah, it's a little bit of the Lucas Van Ness plan. And, and some of those those teams in the Big Ten that have those coaching staffs that have been around for a while, they want to do that thing of the rotation and, and the, they let mm-hmm. the veteran kids that have stuck around, they let them have the starting spots and the younger kid has to come in. Obviously, Chop Robinson, more the situational pass rusher, hopefully yeah. being on the field a little bit more this coming year. We're hoping we're going to get to see him a little bit more against the run. But I, I totally agree with what Forno is saying. When you're looking at the, the pass rushing utility of a player on the field, just statistically, the more important thing than the sack, it's the pressure rate and different stuff like that. I thought Jordan did a really good job of pointing that out in the column. Obviously, the PFF stats dig more into that. It, it can just be fluky as far as the sack number. Mm-hmm. And Forno pointing that out with Daniel Hunter is a really good point because it was one of the big things that Daniel Hunter got, got Nick for coming out. Obviously, it didn't end up being a problem. His pressure rate was way higher than the aggregate sack number, which can be influenced by all sort of fluky things. Yeah, and one thing that Reed mentioned in his write-up is within 2.5 seconds, which is uh, the average time to throw for a quarterback, he was able to get pressure on an FBS leading 12.1% of reps. So basically one out of every eight pass rush reps, he's getting pressure on the quarterback within two and a half seconds, that tight window. That's really impressive for a, a young guy who I believe was only a true sophomore last year. This is a massive upside swing, and I, I would not be shocked if you see Chop Robinson as edge one or edge two in this class. He's going to have to fight with Jared Verse of Florida State, who, was, yeah. who probably would have gone top 10, top 15 in this draft, but he chose to return because Florida State has not an honest-to-God shot at making a run for a national title. It, this is a very intriguing edge class, and those two are going to probably lead the pack. Okay, so looking at the picks after the Vikings at 21 with Chop Robinson, so you have Chris Jenkins, defensive tackle out of Michigan, going to the Chargers uh, with pick 22. Uh, Cameron, is it Kenches out of Miami, the safety going to the Packers? Uh, Cooper Beebe, the guard out of Kansas State. Is he related to Chad Beebe? Is he part of the Don Beebe, Chad, Chad Beebe uh, lineage there? I don't think so. He, he's as big as two Beebe's put together. Of that 
Uh, but big looking at the rest of this draft, though, there is no quarterbacks going after the Vikings, and I believe even after, is it Quinn Ewers is the last one taken in this draft. So, I mean, three in the top ten, don't get me wrong, that's that's pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Uh, but do you see a situation like that playing out where it's only three quarterbacks uh, for no going in the first round of the of next year's draft where you would probably see maybe a little bit more uh, move up there as a the college football season plays out? There's a lot of question marks at the quarterback position. And going into last year, it was Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and about 10 guys who had something to prove. And they, they were uh, all different experience levels and talents, but they all needed to show something. And the, the one who showed the most was Anthony Richardson. Will Levis showed a decent amount, but he had a lot of struggles that were really outside of his control. And then you had just other guys who, there were just question marks. We didn't know what we would see from them moving forward. And I think this class, and you start with Quinn Ewers, has a lot of that. Ewers was a perfect recruit. One, 1,000 across the board, 24-7 source composite. I think he was like, he's like the second or third highest ranked prospect of all time. And he got a lot of comparisons to Mahomes. They called him Mullet Mahomes because he was just able to do so many wild throws off platform and just make just these incredible plays. He hurt his shoulder week two, and we saw how that affected Baker Mayfield in 2021 at the end with the Browns. He just started to struggle and struggle and struggle. And I think Ewers had a lot of that. He was just missing throws. He was not great with his mechanics. He was trying to just fire stuff in. He's going to have a lot to show. Bo Nix has to continue to erase his three years of Auburn tape and show that his Oregon tape is the only tape that needs uh, to be looked at. Michael Penix Jr. arguably should have won the Heisman last year at Washington. And he was just an absolute monster. Was a true dual threat guy, a guy that scrambled uh, against Penn State in 2020. He beat them in like that first Big Ten pandemic game on a two-point conversion where he ran around. But he's got multiple ACL tears. He's got a shoulder surgery. He's He is the $6 million man. He's been completely rebuilt. What are his medicals? And, and you continue to take a look at these guys. I will continue to bang the drum for Western Kentucky's Austin Reed. That is my guy, and I'm really excited to see how he continues to grow this year. Second year, going from D2 West Florida to the FBS level. This class could have two guys. It could have five or six. We need to see how that quarterback three to quarterback 12 performs this season to see how much they've grown and how solid they can be. It's, it's, a, it's a big grab bag right now. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I'm really excited to watch this college football season just to see the same things that play out there where the quarterbacks kind of uh, start to show up a little bit more. And as we get closer to mock season, you know, guys' stock starts to fall and rise, especially at the combine and whatnot and pro days. So uh, we'll see if only three go. But let me get back to this draft here in just a second. Um, with obviously them going with Chop Robinson, the edge, would you guys say, at least as it stands now, because injuries still have to play out maybe in the 2023 season, is edge probably priority one for the Vikings? I know quarterback will be a big one if Kirk is, is gone here, but I guess what are the three draft needs, Thor, that you look at the Vikings if they're starting to game plan for the 2024 draft? What are the three positions, at least in your mind, that probably come first firsthand there? Well, they're probably going to have to fix the cornerback room um, if that's not addressed. But then again, I mean, they, they put a lot of draft equity to that in recent years, but not the first round pick. And if, you know, they're in a position to take a, sh- uh, you know, a guy that projects to be a shutdown outside guy, I think that would have to be in consideration too. Um, obviously, in, in, in interior defensive line, that could be another one. Uh, there's some question marks there. 
first round, you're not going to be thinking about a linebacker, but I think that's that's a day two thing. Uh, Jordan Hicks going to be walking out the door. Uh, so someone that you can play next to your other uh, young linebacker that flies around would, would be a little bit later on. But, yeah, I, I think those are the priority positions. And then potentially running back, but, again, not first round. That would probably be more later day two, maybe early day three. Okay. Yeah, this is. Uh, I think edge is probably the one thing you can always also load up on. Cornerback room, you'll see which ones emerge, right? I mean, that's the goal with the Andrew Boos and the Caleb Evans and whatnot mm-hmm. is which one of those guys emerges with Byron Murphy Jr. most likely too, and then which guys you have to kind of go back to the well. I know Vikings fans just hate the idea of drafting another corner, draft another corner, draft another corner because they're just so sick of it over the last 10 years. But with the way the NFL is and that quarterbacks attacking them like crazy, wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, Forno, any other draft needs that you look at the Vikings that would be a day one need for them in 2024? A lot of it really depends on how this young group of Quasio Pimenta draft picks rises up and shows how, what their development curve is. Are we going to see the Andrew Booth Jr. that we thought could have been a top 15 pick if it weren't for the sports hernia injury? Are we going to see a Caleb Evans really build upon last year? Like, There's so many question marks with those guys. Ed Ingram's another one. How are these guys going to play? We know we have a stud wide receiver. We have two stud offensive tackles, and we hopefully will continue to have a stud pass rusher in Daniel Hunter. That's four premium positions tied up right there. I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here. Wide receivers probably going to have to be addressed again. I don't know if it's a round one thing. It's probably a day two thing because you're going to have Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, and then a big mystery behind him. Jalen Rager's not going to be on this team in 2024. Who knows what you're going to get from Jalen Naylor. Guys like Tristan Jackson, Leek Knowles, Brandon Powell, they're likely never going to be like above a top, like a number four receiver. So you need to find that, that third option. KJ Osborne's probably going to get a big time contract somewhere else. I don't think the Vikings are going to end up paying him the $10 million or so he's probably going to get. You're going to need to have another guy come into the room. And I think that getting a guy on day two, especially with how incredibly deep this wide receiver class is starting to look from the outset, guy like maybe Roma Dunze from Washington, if he falls, or his teammate Jalen McMillan, Emeka Egbuka, uh, he might be the second best receiver in all of college football. He just happens to be playing with arguably the greatest wide receiver prospect potentially of all time in Marvin Harrison Jr. Like that position with how premium it is and how you need to be able to attack and keep space open and how Justin Jefferson impacts the game. That could be a massive priority for this team. We'll see. We need to see how these guys step up uh, in their first and second year with the uh, how Quasito Fomento's draft classes have been. All right. Uh, any last takes on the 2024 draft class here, uh, Thor or Forno, before we get into uh, some listener feedback comments here? Just, uh, you know, to the thing about the, the quarterback thing, Jordan's doing this realistically. You know, a lot of times you look at these too early mocks and you'll see mm-hmm. like six or seven quarterbacks there. I, I hate to give you a little bit of uh, industry secret. That's generally because the writer doesn't know the players at the other positions very well. So he's just stocking the thing full of quarterbacks. But typically once you get to late April, this is what it is, right? There's We, we know the two guys is, you know, you, you're probably going to get one other guy to join them maybe a fourth, but like if you were to place odds on it, like right now, you'd probably say there's going to be three quarterbacks. And if it was going to be in Vegas, you probably the over under you'd set is three and a half. So, I mean, this is the correct way. And this is also the distribution that you see in the draft. Those guys go in the top 10. So I think Jordan Mm -hmm. did this correctly. Do we know that Quinn Ewers is going to be the guy to make the leap? No, 
but he certainly has the talent to, and, he, and you know, he, he has that the platform and the spotlight. He's going to be playing in Tuscaloosa, Alabama in week two. And by the way, Texas right now installs a six and a half point underdog in that game. I think Texas is going to win that game because I think Alabama is going to be only down. six and a half. Only six and a half. And I'd smash Texas right now. People know. People know. Like, you know, because Alabama, their spreads have been higher in the summer over these past couple of years. Alabama's talent level is coming down. Texas has been going up and up and up. I I think Texas is going to ambush them in that game. And then from there, you know, you you see what happens. But uh, Ewers has all kinds of weapons between Xavier Worthy. They did lose Bijan, of course, but they have two high, high, high five stars the last two classes at running back that that are going to come in and even behind them that they get, you know, they, they have some really highly touted prospects, whatnot. They have a lot of different guys. And then Isaiah Nair, the, the kid from Wyoming that I was, was going to, yeah, you know, was going to play a big role last season. Then, then he hurts himself before the season got, got lost for the year. He's coming back. So they have plenty of weapons there. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard show podcast, Monday through Friday, as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines, and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. All right, I love it. That's their 2024 draft uh, mock from Jordan Reed. We'll obviously get into mini mocks on this uh, on this podcast of Purple Daily on draft throughout the year, but Figured to be a fun one to start with there, uh, with Chop Robinson going to the Vikings at pick twenty-one. All right, boys, let's uh, let's get in some feedback options here from the YouTube comment section. I want to start with this one from Richard on the YouTube page. He says, "Why have the Vikings gone a little on the thin side when it comes to the middle linebacker position depth? We all want to see Brian Osamoa succeed, and all indications are he's looking like he's going to be a pretty solid player for the Vikings." But with Hicks, Jordan Hicks, the only semi-proven player, that's concerning to me. Do you think we may hit the free agent market or a trade before the season to get a additional middle linebacker help? I guess, how do you guys view drafting middle linebackers? I mean, it's not as sexy as it used to be, I feel like, with the Brian Urlachers of my generation and, and the Taylors of the Dolphins. How do you guys view drafting linebackers? Do you try to stay away from them early? Do you like, if they have, obviously, the pedigree and all the RAS score, is it worth taking them in the first round? I guess, Forno, how do you kind of look at an analyzing linebacker and how it relates to the draft in the Vikings? How do they impact you in the passing game? How are they at getting sideline to sideline? Those are the most important things because, honestly, middle linebacker, you could argue, is the least important position on the defensive side of the football. They just, they're not asked to do the same things. And, like, if you remember Brian Urlacher, one of the one of the last, like, truly great inside linebackers of, of our generation, what he he was a former safety and what he was able to do, he could dominate at the line of scrimmage. He could win in coverage. He could do all of these different things. And middle linebackers nowadays, if you can't cover, there's not really much of a roster spot available for you because you have to be able to flip those hips and go upfield with running backs on wheel routes. Um, I'll never forget Minneapolis Miracle. Oh, Alvin Kamara ran one of those wheel routes. In the back corner over Eric Kendricks. And Kendricks was right there. Breeze just threw it perfectly. You have to be an Eric Kendricks style of linebacker, an Anthony Barr, to really be an impactful player. So unless you're getting a true alpha, like if Nicobe Dean didn't have those injury concerns, that guy probably goes round one because he's just an incredibly tackler, great instincts, and he can cover in the open field. He is very rangy in that aspect. You can't do those things. 
you're going to wait. And then you have guys like Asamoah, former safety converts, DeMarvey and Overshone in the same way. They don't have a lot of that uh, gr- like great ability at the line of scrimmage to shed blocks. They're gap shooters, and then they, they can do things in space. But they need to develop the rest of that game. That's why they're falling to the middle rounds. But you can develop some of that stuff. You can't teach quickness, aggressiveness, and you can't teach speed. That's what those guys have, and that's why you're seeing a big shift to that in as far as middle linebackers are concerned. If you if you have a great one, like Jeremiah Trotter Jr., there's a throwback name for you. He was in the first round of this draft. He can do a little bit of everything. He's Trenton Simpson, his teammate at Clemson, but very good at football. Like th- This is a talented guy who's probably going to go round one, and for good reason. But if you don't have those modern-day abilities as a linebacker, there's really no point in drafting one high take a high upside athletic guy and try to teach them the game a little bit better. Thor, how about you? What do you kind of, how do you view linebacker when it comes to drafting and is it worth the first round pick? And also, I guess to answer the listener's question too, do you feel that the Vikings are a little thin at the middle linebacker position? Yeah, they definitely are. And, you know, in terms of like, if you compare it to the rest of the NFL, those two guys against some of the other guys in the NFL, the position groups in the NFL, the, the Vikings would rank near the bottom. So as points well taken, the depth isn't great there either. That's certainly like, if, you know, if you were to look around at like team needs still, you know, whether it's heading into the year or like, you know, Reed did a, a thing of potential needs, you know, on, on his mock draft beneath the teams. Linebacker would be up there for the Vikings for sure. But you have to keep in mind the value of the positions in the same way you do, for instance, with running back on offense. Linebacker certainly devalued the three, four defense. You only have the two of them there. You need the diversified skill set like Forno's talking about. You're looking for these guys to do the jobs that you have within the schemes that they're playing with. But if you had your druthers, you would you would plug those other needs first because they're far more valuable positions. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Vikings certainly are going to be looking for for the starter to, to place next to Asamoah next offseason long term. But I think, you know, in terms of the linebacker position, you can get that guy later in round three. You know, you can get him around the 75th, 80th, 90th pick, whatever, something like that. You don't really need to reach up. If if you're going in the first round, that kid's got to be able to do so many different things. And Micah Parsons coming out was a quote-unquote off-ball linebacker, but, like, he, we would seen him edge rushing and beating so many offensive tackles at Penn State and doing all these different stuff. They would move him around and do different stuff. You, you need a – like, if you're going to draft an off-ball linebacker high, like, in the first round – and Forno was sort of mentioning this. He, he has to be able to do different things at an elite level, not just the, the one thing. If it's just sort of meat and potato stuff, then, you know, and he's a reliable tackler, whatever, you can take that guy later on at that mm-hmm. value position. I don't think it's a mistake that the Vikings signed three UDFA inside linebackers, considering the Pace, week. Yeah, like Pace is going to be, uh, he, he can't move laterally, but man, can he shoot a gap? And can he disrupt? He takes on offensive linemen too, man, like, you see him take on double teams and still get through it and make the tackle. Like, yeah. Nine and a half sacks from the middle linebacker position is not a mistake. Yeah. He's a muscle hamster. Love that. that. Love muscle that hamster. Card. You're one. Yeah. Uh, I got to get the football. football sounder for a muscle hamster. <laughs> uh, Wyatt on the YouTube comment section says, Josh Metellus will be the most talked about member of the safety room this season for the Vikings. Write that mm-hmm. down. Uh, do you see Josh Metellus, who I believe is kind of being used as like this, as Judd has described, the Swiss Army knife for Brian Flores, at least early on during those OTAs and mini camps? Uh, Forno, do you see Josh Metellus as being probably the most talked about member of that safety room? No, it's going to be Lewisine. 
Um, I, I still have questions if Josh Mattelis is going to make the roster. And let me kind of go into that. OTAs and mini camps is about trying things. You want to uh, see how it's going to work. Metellus getting a lot of run could be a lot less about him actually getting run during the season and more about, do we think this guy is a good enough safety to keep on the roster considering everything else we have is his, or is his special teams acting like good enough to be able to kind of keep him there. He's a fourth year guy. You have Bynum, who's got that versatility that Flores absolutely loves because he's got corner and slot versatility. You've got Seen. They just drafted Jay Ward in round four, and you've got Harrison Smith. Where does Metellus fit into that safety room? I have real questions about it. Now, if the OTA stuff is a precursor, which is kind of what Judd is thinking, to what they're actually going to run during the season, then he's right because he's a physical enough guy to be good enough at occupying blockers as like a quote unquote linebacker, but he's still got actual range as a safety and can do a lot of different things and be a chess piece on the back end. I'm just not convinced he's going to make the roster considering how the safety room is currently constructed unless they choose to keep all five. Or how about you? Do you think Josh Metellus is kind of in that same vein as well? Um, I, I guess I like him more than Forno. I, I do think he's going to make the roster. I don't know if I go as far as the other gentlemen, though. Um, so I'd probably be somewhere in between. I think Metellus is a little bit underrated. You know, when he saw the field last year and it wasn't in sort of a delineated role, you know, some of it had to do with injuries or coming in, you know, and situationally whatnot. He played really well. He was one of the Vikings highest graded uh, defenders. I mean, you, you have to give the sample size caveat, obviously, and different stuff like that. But he was reliable as a safety. And then the other thing, and Forno brought this up, he plays on so many different special teams units. You look over the last three years since he'd been here, 953 snaps on special teams. And on all of them, the kick return, kick coverage, punt return, punt coverage, field goal block, like you you release that guy, then you have to fill all those spots too. He He's proven his chops there, not to go back to, to our boy chop. And then, uh, like, also he's showing the reliability with the safety thing. I don't know if, you know, in terms of like, oh, he's going to become this this chess piece for Brian Flores, whatnot. I'm not sure about that. But the one thing that he does have going for him is everyone with Flores coming in, they all get the slates wiped clean. It's not like the past performance is going to carry any weight as far as Flores' decision. He's evaluating all these guys new. And so Metellus coming in, it's not like there's going to be like some sort of, you know, seniority thing or like whatever. If Metellus is better than seen or if Metellus is better than Bynum or whatever, like Flores is going to make those calls, right? It's not going to matter what the, the draft position or what happened last year, or the year before. So at least he has that going for him. And he also has the special team stuff going for him. I have another piece of uh, listener feedback here from uh, from one of our hits, one of our uh, great conversations from a year ago, especially with Forno when he would come on, write that down and whatnot and advocating uh, Malik Willis in Tennessee. So I believe there was a report that Malik Willis outperformed Will Levis during some offseason drills this season. But Malik roster spot isn't guaranteed even with uh, the new rule. I'd love to uh, by Jim Wyatt, the Titans reporter, want to give proper credit there. So let's say Malik Willis does uh, does get cut here and doesn't make the roster, whether that's soon or whether that's maybe towards like the last uh, last round and whatnot. Or no, is that still someone the Vikings should take a chance on? I guess what do you kind of view that point of if he if he gets cut by the Titans, should the Vikings make the phone call and pick him up and and maybe claim him as a practice squad member at the very least? I'll say this much, and I think everybody in the world knows that Thor and I were the two literal highest people in the <laughs> entire draft industry on Malik Willis. So this is going to come from the perspective of I have a lot of belief and faith in Malik Willis. 
The answer is absolutely yes. If you believe that he can be anything as a quarterback in the National Football League, you go grab him and you see what you can do. And you know what? If it costs you $200,000 on the practice squad to give that guy a run in your room, considering how awful of a situation he was put in in Tennessee, where the GM drafted him, the head coach didn't want him. He was not put in positions to be successful. That offensive line was abysmal. The receiving corpse was arguably worse. He was not in a great situation. And it showed when he got extensive run with that Titans team. You think he can't be anything? You take the swing. You never know what's going to happen. And you know what? If you don't believe him, I, I get not taking the swing. That's fine. It, a lot of it's going to come back to what was your draft evaluation on him? And do you believe that you can get that out of him? And if the Vikings believe they can, they absolutely should. Should they take the swing on uh, Malik Willis there, Thor? What do you, what do you kind of look at it? Well, first of all, I, I would say I, I, he's not going to get released. Um, I, I don't believe those, those reports. I, I think if no, nothing else, it would be a low ball trade if they really felt like they had to get, you know, get him off the roster or whatever. I don't really understand it, though, because keeping the three quarterbacks, you can do that. Not only do I think Malik Willis is a better prospect than Will Levis, like long term, um, he's also objectively, by anyone watching the practices right now, further along and better right now in the moment. So I don't know why you're going to try to rush Will Levis to be Tannehill's backup right away when he clearly isn't ready, especially when the book on Malik Willis, even from those who were the highest on him, like Forno's mentioning, we were even saying he the first year is a wash. Like you, he, he needs to sit back there, watch and learn because he had come from this playground style offense um, under Hugh Freeze at Liberty um, and play behind this this scattershot offensive line and, and, and different stuff like this. The physical tools were the thing that were elite. You had to teach him some of this other different stuff, right, of, of going across the field, the, the progressions, different stuff like that. We knew that it was going to take the one-year learning thing. And to jump out on Malik Willis because the, the couple games that he played, his wide receiving core was Nick Westbrook-Akina and Cody Hollister, and he was playing behind this offensive line that was this mash unit. It doesn't make any sense at all. Look at your own scouting reports on the kid when he was coming into the building. If I was any other GM in the NFL that didn't have a long-term quarterback like situation inside my building, I would be sending in low-ball offers every single day for Malik Willis. And that goes for you, Kwesi. Like, would a six-round pick get it done right now? Because that's done. What, fifth? Like, I mean, what would it take right now to get that done? That's a ball of clay that you absolutely want to work with. You're talking about a kid that runs a 4-4, that can throw the ball 80 yards downfield and has shown all kinds of playmaking chops during his career, single-handedly led upsets over top-tier Power 5 programs, Virginia Tech being one of them. There were several of these games. The only reason they were winning was because of Malik Willis. He That was a situation he was in in college. Again, you have to work with him, get him into the NFL system. But now he's had that year. You're already hearing the reports of, of the, the, the head and shoulders improvement year over year, we knew that was going to be the case. That's what we talked about his entire process. You're seeing it. It's happening right in front of your eyes. If the Titans want to pull the plug, and the reason they would, it's because it's a new administration. That you know, the, the, the new GM, he's the one that took Levis. He obviously has mm-hmm. his own plans for different stuff, whatnot. Maybe he was a bit lower on, on Malik Willis or whatever. And maybe they got blinders on to, to the improvement that they've seen, whatnot. If that's going to be the case, and they've already sort of moved on mentally from him, you know, from the moment they turned in that Will Levis card, I would lowball the crap out of them. And maybe if you're you're a team like the Vikings, maybe you run into one where all of a sudden you find your, your long-term quarterback solution. And if not, 
it's what the price tag of a of a sixth or a fifth round pick. If they're talking about cutting him, even I don't think that's a realistic possibility. Certainly, they would at least listen to an offer like that. That's what I would want to get to the bottom of if I was one of these other teams out there. Turn my mic on here, Forno. I want to uh, run a situation by you. This is my. Uh, this is in like Batman Dark Knight. I have you are Batman, and I have told you. I literally had to write this down. I had told you that Malik Willis is Rachel. You have to either go save Rachel or Jaron Hall is Harvey Dent. Which one are you saving? And i.e., which one becomes the better NFL starting quarterback in your mind, Malik Willis or Jaron Hall? Two guys that you absolutely love. Pick one. This is workplace harassment. I don't appreciate <laughs> it at all. Uh, look, it, it... <sighs> this is an easy one, Forno. You know the answer. <laughs> I'm being bullied. Uh, I, I need to speak to HR, and HR is probably Judd, and he's just going to uh, encourage us. Yep. So what are we doing here? Um, honestly, uh, if I had to pick one guy who I think has the most upside, it's Malik Willis. I think the safer bet is probably Jaron Hall in this offense, like as, as a Viking-specific uh, answer because of what he w- ran at BYU and how similar it is to what Kevin O'Connell likes to run. Um, Man, that that's tough and that's evil, and I don't appreciate it. I'm sorry for him. I had to pull you on it right when you started talking about it, and like I remember that both of you were in. I was like, oh wait, he also loves Jaron Hall, and then I, I have no idea why Batman popped in my head, but I was like, oh, that there's that great scene where he makes him pick, and then obviously Rachel ends up getting killed. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, last thing before we wrap here on Purple Daily on Draft, you got we were texting yesterday, and I was getting you some show prep notes. And then you guys told me you're doing a fantasy football draft. And then when I got more information from you guys before we hit the record button today, you said this is what did you did I see? Did I hear three thousand team league? Is that what I heard correctly? What did I hear? What is this league? Yeah. So it, if you've never heard of it, it's the Scott Fish Bowl. Um, Scott Fish is one of the the industry leaders in fantasy football. He's and he's a local guy too. He's he lives in the Twin Cities. He created this league where it's to raise money for charity. Uh, for fantasycares.org if you want to go check it out and it's 12 team it's separate 12 team leagues with 24 man rosters unique scoring format and then he compiles all the data and lists um, where everybody's ranked every week and it's a really cool concept I last year I finished I made the semifinals I finished in the top 500 um, because he does like a playoff structure after that and it's it's a it's really cool. We did a live draft yesterday. I had the second pick in the spam division. Thor had third and he sniped me on Anthony Richardson because he's evil, but we, we won't uh, dive too deep into that. It's, it's a really cool thing. If you've never heard of it or seen it, I recommend you go check it out. Um, he, Scott's just one of the nicest guys in the entire industry. Awesome. Well, yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. And if anyone also wants to hear us talk more fantasy football stuff uh, on this show, we will gladly do so. That's one element we haven't really talked about on Purple Daily. Mackie, Judd, and myself have retired, if you will. Well, I think Mackie still plays a little fantasy football. I know Judd retired. I retired. Uh, but I have still have an Andrew Luck, a couple good prime seasons, I think, left in me if I want to come out of retirement here as long as my offensive line doesn't get me killed. Uh, funny enough, Ryan Grigson is now running the Vikings or at least helping Kwesi run the Vikings. So that's also hilarious. But if you want us to talk fantasy football on Purple Daily on Draft, hit us up. We'll gladly talk about that as well. Uh, we're live every Monday at 3 o'clock on the Purple Daily YouTube channel and on your podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. Uh, hit that subscribe button for Daily Vikings Entertainment where we want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.